As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at BTERacing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Cole Castile and the Saturday Night Hooker. Big Jed, it's been a while. Uh, you're, you with Luke? Is that... Is that your name, Luke? <laughs> this is the thing. I think from the outside, I think the listener rightfully tabs us as being good friends, being relatively close. What <laughs> podcast has done, I think, I, I'm speaking for myself, but I assume that you would agree, Jed. We get so much time together within the show that like, that's our time to catch up. We rarely... We gotten to the point anyway that we rarely talk outside of our recording time and kind of our prep time. As a result, um, we haven't really spoken in like a month. I miss. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, and yeah, you're right. I, we we don't get a lot of time to to chat other than when we're talking prior to the show or a few minutes after. But um, I think that's. I mean, we we spend probably as much time talking 
with the show as I do to any of my quote unquote friends. So you're, you're still among the top of the list, but uh, glad to be back, Luke. Uh, man, you know, as long as we've been shut down, for lack of a better term, um, golly, it just feels like it's been forever, but it's been like three weeks. So um, just shows how much a part of the podcast is of our lives, and uh, I'm definitely glad to be back talking about racing and racers. To your point, the, I don't know, hour and a half to at times three hours probably that we spend, you know, brainstorming and then recording the podcast there are weeks where i spend more time talking to you than my wife so i don't <laughs> about these last three or four weeks but at the same time i have missed these uh the back and forth banter yeah likewise so obviously and i think the as we reach out to listeners there's a lot going on in the world that isn't great like uh that quite frankly, we don't have the answers to, and I don't think you're coming to the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast for those answers. We're going to do our best to create a, a pleasant distraction over the course of, I'm going to go ahead and predict this one's going to be a long episode. You've punched through, you know how long it is. We're at the beginning, so we don't, <laughs> but this one's going to take 90 minutes of your time, I would say at minimum, but I think it's going to be a fun show. We've got a few things right off the bat, recent developments, basically recent events, news stories, and actual results. Uh, over the course of the last month or so since we've recorded together uh, that we'll touch on. And then we're going to kind of create a, this is our preseason uh, episode, right? As we look ahead to 2021. And we're going to go through an exercise that we did once. We did this three years ago. Hard to believe it's been that long. But we reached out to a handful, uh, I think 11 racers, or 11 industry professionals, right? A combination of successful racers, promoters, media, uh, and asked like, hey, there's a, there's a top ball bracket race tomorrow and everybody in the country, everybody on the continent that has a chance to win will be there. Who you got? And it's our preseason top 25 based on nothing more than that. So we'll get into more detail. Like I said, we've done this once before. It's been a while. Uh, the list has changed pretty dramatically over the course of three years. We're going to count it down for you here today. Jed, let's start off with some actual race results before we get into the fun of the top 25. I think the biggest on-track events over the course of the last month uh, happened naturally, you know, in the month of December and January in the state of Florida. Um, back, I say back to back, I think there was a weekend in between uh, the Bradenton SFG race and the Palm Beach International New Year's race. And it definitely has the feel, I wasn't there, I caught a little bit of it on um, live stream. It has the feel like this is the new winter series and almost the winter series of old, like these races were really well attended. Yeah, very successful, Luke. Um, you know, obviously, as you talked about, the Winter Series was uh, legendary to many, many racers across the country. And, um, you know, that, that went away. But the, the new quote-unquote Winter Series, or if this is the beginning of a combination of races to end each year and begin the next one, <laughs> if this was any indication, they've got a great future ahead. The SFG event was held at Bradenton. Um, those guys had, uh, I think, 225s maybe and a 50 planned and not real sure. It seemed like they might have had a little bit of weather interruption. But nonetheless, uh, they started out on Thursday or they started out on 
Tuesday, I believe, and uh, had a 400 car max. And I think, Luke, they sold that thing out really early and blew it out with the crowd. Might even went over what they uh, anticipated having. But um, the, the 25 grander that they were able to complete was an all Ohio final with our man Matt Dattis. That Maddass got the win over Jono Gerber. I, I do not know Jono Gerber. I'm not familiar with Jono, but I am familiar with Matt, and I think we'll hear his name again in a little while when we start talking about top 25s. But uh, ended 2020 very well with a with a 25k win, and then I'm sorry, go ahead. Familiar enough with uh, Jono to know that it's Jono. Jono. Okay. Okay. So shouts to Jono. That'll that'll make the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, okay. <laughs> if that's Jono, that's just fine. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, I do not know Jono, but uh, definitely want to give Jono credit for getting to a final round and uh, Matt Dadis credit for getting that win. And then the 50K race was uh, won by Ryan Barnes over Brian Folk. Brian making the long trip from uh, from the northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin area. I think they're right on the border there, if I remember correctly. And uh, getting a runner up in the 50k there to Ryan Barnes, Ryan with a huge win. And then Luke, they had a $5,025, which I think you, you kind of know where that, those pit races are headed. I mean, we're, we're just, you know, everybody's trying to outdo everybody. So I'm not is... completely familiar with the significance of that, but I'm going to assume that somewhere at some point there was a $5,000 to win pit vehicle race that had to be one upped. Is that yeah, and I think there might have been a five thousand one dollar one, and huh. this one got to five thousand twenty-five, really up in the ante. Uh, but that is a—I mean, really think about it—that's a huge pit vehicle race. That's that's a nice win in anything you own, but if you do it in a pit vehicle, that's exceptionally nice. And Jonathan McCandless, part of the uh, McCandless, the legendary McCandless family from North Carolina. Uh, young Jonathan is, uh, is the next generation there in a long line of great mechanless racers. And, uh, and he is the winner of the largest pit vehicle race in history, paying $5,025 to win. So um, great crowd, really good race there at Bradenton. Nice way to wrap up 2020 for those guys and another successful SFG event to uh, probably make it back onto the calendar each and every year going forward. Yeah, so we closed out 2020 in Bradenton and then brought in the new year. I guess officially the the the, the PBRA, PBIR New Year's event uh, bridged the gap, right? Day one was in 2020, day two in 2021. And that place was packed. 610 plus entries for the two classes at West yeah. Point. Yeah, Luke, uh, that's Rob Reynolds, New Year's Nationals. Uh, Rob's been doing this a few years now. Obviously, this is the highest attended New Year's Nationals to date. And as I was able to tune in, my goodness, everybody wanted to race because there were people there from everywhere. Lots of people made very long trips to get, uh, get down there to West Palm. And those guys started out on Thursday with some shootouts. The box shootout was won by Tucker Creech over Josh Bagwell. Uh, the no box shootout was Charlie Lockhart. And for those that might remember, they had a lot of rain last year. They had to take 
basically everything they were doing, which was a couple of 10 granders and put it on one race. And that thing finished late, late Sunday night. Charlie won that race, which started an incredible 2020 for him. Well, he comes back on the Thursday 5K shootout and gets it at the New Year's Nationals this year, gets the win over Mike Gaffney. And by the way, I think Mike was racing a gremlin. So um, could be the year of the gremlin. We'll see. Maybe it closed out the year of the gremlin, though. Yeah, well, I guess if it was a Thursday race, it, it might have closed out the year of the gremlin. But none that was your cool points. For you don't see a many gremlins, so that, that was that was good stuff. Um, Thursday junior shootout was won by Thomas Oates over Katie Kraft, and then Luke. Basically, it was two ten granders in each class. Friday and Saturday was the plan. I don't know how much of this you got to see, but. They basically started out Friday morning with no time trial. They said, look, the Wednesday testing tune or, or whatever it was, maybe Thursday testing tune, your time trial, ever how many we can work in for you, that's going to be your time trials for the weekend. Uh, this thing is very loaded with cars and entries, and we're not going to be able to do time trials. So they basically started Friday, no time run, except for what new entries they got. And that thing ran, Luke, I'm going to say till about third round or something on Friday, then had to finish Saturday and got run late into Saturday. And then Sunday got wrapped up very late with Saturday's race. So, but all that being said, great job by PBIR and, and Rob Reynolds and their staff by getting everything in the Friday box winner was a guy that's uh, familiar with the winter circle. Uh, he gets it done, seemed like everywhere he goes, Trey Bunner. Trey got the win over Carson Brown. And uh, the Friday uh, no-box race was Gage Birch over Nick Hastings. And that was going to be a familiar final round as they did the exact same thing in Saturday's 10K. Gage makes the sweep, and looks like Nick got the runner-up in both of those. Um, unbelievable performance by both of those guys, as always. I, I saw the one final. I believe it was Friday's 10K final. Uh, Nick was 10 dead six to be, I believe, three in the hole. I think he got three change back for that from Gage off the foot, and Gage 12 dead one. So incredible racing by incredible racers, as always. Saturday's uh, 10K box final was Mike Matty Jr. over Corey Penny. Uh, big win there for, for Double M to get his season started off the right way. And in the junior category, Luke, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with this name, but this young man has collected many, many wins in the junior category. Still got a few left in him, and I'm sure we can look for more things as he advances uh, to the big cars soon. That's Carson Emmett, Carson from the Sand Mountain area in Alabama, and he gets the win over Dylan Height. And Saturday's junior winner was Jordan Ansel over Kaylee Creech. So some familiar winners there, some great racing, uh, tons of cars, and just a, an all-around great start to 2021 with 610 entries. And I believe, Luke, 105 of those were junior dragsters. Wow. Um, I'll circle back on a couple of points. The If you tell me 
that it's a big dollar no box race and it's Gage Birch and Nick Hastings in the final. That shocks no one, right? <laughs> Correct. Do it back to back days, probably shocks no one. But I saw, I think on Gage's post for this event, it's 200 plus no box entries. And I just know some of the names that were down there. Um, this was a stout field. And for anyone, I don't care what your um, perception and respect for the abilities of Gage Birch and Nick Hastings are, to make back-to-back finals at that big a crowd um, with and that talented a field, really impressive feat. And this event, correct me if I'm wrong, Jed, because this has gone on for a few years now. This is like the Gage Birch Florida Invitational. Doesn't he do this every year? <laughs> well, Charlie... Charlie got the the win in the the single 20k race last year, Charlie Lockhart. Um, but obviously, anywhere in Florida that's racing, Gage Birch does this quite often. But as far as the New Year's Nationals, maybe years prior he's done it. I, I can't remember the results there. But um, he's uh, he's obviously somebody that that collects a lot of paydays in Florida year round. And when he stretches out to other states, he gets their money too. The the bigger picture, um, this talking point, I think, from these two weeks, and I, I touched on it briefly leading in, is the idea that this is kind of the new winter series. And that really, and maybe I'm beginning to get to be like an old timer of some sort, that kind of tugs at the heartstrings for me. Because when I really started traveling racing and got to attend my first quote unquote winter series, um, it was definitely past its heyday but still really special like i grew up reading about the moroso five day that had a legit 500 cars you know 500 single entered quarter mile cars from all over the country and just and and got all of that feedback all of that aura around that event and the events that that kind of piggybacked it you know at bradenton orlando for the longest time and that's bounced around a lot you know between south georgia got involved immokalee obviously basically every track in in that region at some point in time and uh, by the time that i was able to be in nintendo's like i say the the prestige the atmosphere was still there but the car count was nothing like it was say a decade earlier and i lived it i probably went there for 10 consecutive years and just kind of watched it slowly fade you know and to the point that it essentially dried up and and what used to be the winter series is essentially uh, non-existent has been for the last few years save for you know a couple of random events here and there this is later in the calendar what i had always what we had always known as the winter series was late november typically ended just prior to or right at thanksgiving this is obviously later in the year we're talking uh, essentially christmas and new year's you know or, or the week prior to christmas into new year's for both of these races like you got to realize how far south this is like if for most of us anywhere in the country it's a long way to get to the florida state line you are nowhere near <laughs> or west palm beach when you get to the florida state line it's uh i'm gonna say bradenton is six hours south of the state line uh, West Palm, basically down the other coast, but similar. I mean, it's way down there. And for, to your point, obviously the the local crowd has supported this, which I think makes sense. Like both of these events, while prestigious and high paying are reasonable entry fees, but it's also at a time of year with enough prestige and enough purse to get people traveling. 
and to your point, like the little bit that I tuned into this, I mean, I saw racers from Ohio to New Mexico to all the way up the East Coast. I mean, all over converge on these two tracks in South Florida, which speaks, I guess, to the health of big dollar bracket racing in general. But I am a huge fan of seeing the resurgence of the quote unquote winter series. And I think that that will just expand in years to come. Yeah, it's really good. And with that kind of crowd and, and the way that these things were basically blowouts as far as attendance um wouldn't surprise me if you see something ahead of what the the sfg schedule is in bradenton which i still think amakali uh i i don't guess it's quote unquote winter series anymore but it is if it's racing winter time i think they still had something prior to to bradenton uh so and i believe it turned out well so wouldn't surprise me if if the people in that region of the country don't see the uh, advantage of having people traveling south and maybe catch them on the way and and try to have some some other events, so maybe maybe a full winter series is on the return soon. But nonetheless, um, you know, kudos to those both of those facilities and promoters for blowing it out and having such a huge crowd. And Luke, it's not in the show notes, but uh, it, this one kind of snuck up on me, but uh, I did see that Houston had an event as well over the weekend. I think it was a 10 and a 5, but it could have been two 10s. But nonetheless, in top, uh, A.J. Ash swept that, ran himself in the final of the, the first 10 grander. And whatever it was, whether it was a 5 or a 10, on the next day, he ran that final and won it as well. I did see that. It was all A.J. all the time in Houston. Yeah, so AJ back on the track and uh, starting 2021 out with a bang. Uh, a couple other kind of news updates. The uh, Great American Million uh, this year slated for Memorial Day, as it was pre-pandemic last year and then ultimately got moved back. Uh, they began taking pre-entries. I believe it was just two racers who had competed in the first annual, and I think it opens up to the rest of the field maybe today as we're recording. Um but uh, pre-entry is open. I didn't get an exact number on pre-entry, but uh, I know that it's been solid uh, filling up quickly. So that's exciting. Like that, we talked about that race at nauseum and it had a lot working against it weather-wise. Um, but I think that race was pretty freaking cool and has the ability to be really special, has the potential to be really special in, uh, in 2021. So I'm looking forward to that. Let's um, just hear on my notes. Next week, uh, we'll open up for non-participants from 2020 assuming that there are any spots left yeah looking forward to that one as well and you know that right around the corner really when you think about it um it'll be the first million of the year right out of the gate and really looking forward to, to that happening in the time frame in which it's supposed to happen and hopefully those guys get a much better forecast and get an opportunity to run it uh, as advertised uh, very cool format Lots of great things around it with uh, Clay Milliken and all the stuff those guys did during the breaks last year. And certainly paying a guaranteed million dollars is, is cool enough to make you want to be there. So looking forward to seeing how that one works out and entries uh, are open. So if you got to attend last year, your spot is kind of saved for now. So go ahead and get that secured. And if you didn't get to participate and you want to, looks like that's going to open up next week. On the NHRA side, uh, obviously NHRA released 
their the divisional schedule has been out for several months. Uh, the national event schedule, which most everyone has, has looked at at this point, um, flipped around quite a bit from years past, uh, for reasonably so, I guess, to be expected to some extent. Um, I will say this. I want to take some time here to do something that we, and when I say we, we as a show don't do particularly often, and I would say we as a body of racers don't do very often at all, and that's to actually um, shed some light on some positive things that NHRA is doing, give them a little bit of credit, uh, something that I don't, I don't think we do very often. A couple of things really stood out to me. I, I thought the way that, and these are, these are small things that affect a, a small group of racers, but I thought were thoughtful and mindful of sports and racers. The uh, grade point protocol for 2021 that they outlined just to me shows that they're considering sports and racers and, and whether it's the division directors or the racers council or whatever, like it's, it's obvious that some concerns were brought to mind. Um, basically what they're doing is not counting last year against you if you couldn't go racing, right? Or if you weren't able to attend NHRA events. And let's be frank, in some parts of the country, there just weren't really NHRA events to attend or, or very, very limited. Um, so basically they're, they're taking your best grade point season uh, between 19 and 20 or a three-year average, like whatever's higher. And that is just basically saying like, look, if you have supported NHRA at any point in the last three years, you're going to have an opportunity to get into these events, which again is not a monumental thing, but it's something that in the past, I don't think would have been particularly well thought through in reading through this, like it was well thought out. Same goes, and I was really surprised by this, and this affects a very small number of people. We're talking about um, what, maybe a half dozen racers in each category. Well, I guess more than that when you expand it to silver cards. But they took anyone that had earned a gold, silver, or bronze card, which just means like if you win a division championship, you have a gold card for the next year, which means that you get into any divisional or national events you know, with, with no entry fee. And um, obviously many of the winners of those in 2019 didn't really get to take advantage of them in 2020, perhaps not even at all. And they're basically honoring our gold cards for 2021. There's a limit to it. I think you can attend up to five national events between the two years. But it's just a cool, thoughtful thing that I never would have assumed would happen. And obviously, I'm speaking like this impacts me because I had a gold card from 19 that I used twice last year. Um, I get to use it. You know what I mean? That's cool. Like, it's not a huge money savings, but it's something that just lets me know like they are thinking of us. And it was cool, I think. I, I guess the flip side of this is they've made it um, accessible, I guess, to enter specifically national events, but the quotas are smaller. Right. They're taking 50, 60 super class cars at, at most events, which isn't news like that's been going on for a few years now. Um, but you it, it is harder to get in simply because they're taking less cars. And to that end, like they opened up um, entry to the Gator Nationals, which is this year's you know kickoff in mid-March. And every class, I believe, filled up within like the second week of opening it. and the way that NHRA does it. You can enter the first week if you have been to, if you have a grade eight, which basically means that you went to eight division races. You can enter the next week if you had been to seven. So it, the demand is really high to get into these events, which I guess it feels like the demand is pretty high across the board in sportsman racing. But it just felt like last year there was a bit of a change in the guard and more people opting for the 
the bracket racing on some level where there was the mega bucks events uh, regional events local events and, sh and and kind of turning a corner away from nhra this again is a small sample size but is kind of proof that like that's not necessarily the case that the nhra stuff assuming that they continue to cross the t's and dot the i's and, and pay more attention to us as sportsman racers is still a viable option yeah look, great points um you know, the NHRA doesn't get a lot of recognition for the good things that they have done or that they're doing. It's it's usually people pointing out the bad. So uh, definitely great to to be able to to put some spotlight on the good things they're doing. And both of those are really cool things, especially with the gold card and honoring those. And uh, it's a it's a sensible thing to do for your supporters to go back to that grade point system to where it it allows everyone a fair opportunity that that might not have been able to attend events last year for whatever reason so really good stuff by uh by the nhra and it looks like the the good vibes that started with the camping world involvement just continuing on and it's just a whole new group and a, a bunch that's trying everything they can to make sure the sportsman racers feel appreciated so Really excited about that. Hashtag good vibes. That's where we're rolling here. Like, there's, oh, yeah. love it. This is a good vibes only podcast. I feel like we're off to a good start. We got a little bit out of rhythm. We haven't heard from PJ yet. So, before we get to brass tacks, before we get to our top 25, let's take a quick break for some PJ North. All right, so here we go. The preseason top 25. I mentioned this a little bit in the intro. Jed, what we did here is we reached out to probably 15 uh, industry representatives, right? Whether it was successful racers, race promoters, media members, and asked them basically point blank, there is an eighth mile big dollar bracket race tomorrow that is centrally located, nobody's home track, everyone who's anyone is going to attend, who's gonna win it? Give me your top 25. We had 11 panelists respond and we basically took the combination of them. Just to give the list some credence, Jed, our 11 voters include you and me, because you know, like, if we're gonna put this together, we get a vote. Yeah. John DeBartolomeo, Scott Lemon, DragRacerSalts.com, Troy Williams Jr., who needs no introduction, Galen Rollison and Britt Cummings, promoters of the Great American Million Dollar Race, Peter Biondo, co-promoter of the Spring Fling events, Gary Donfrey of Drag Champ, Michael Beard of Loose Rocker Promotions and uh, LooseRocker.com, and Kevin Brandon, another stellar performer behind the wheel. So those 11 make up this 
polling process, this top 25. And again, I, I think I kind of articulated the, the, the guidelines that we have. This isn't a top 25 of all time. This isn't a winningest top 25. This is the races tomorrow. Who do you have the most confidence in? Yeah, and Luke, I think it's important that uh, we let people know you're going to hear some of the some of the panelists on the list. So no one no one thinks that well they you know might have padded their own results or moved themselves higher on the list. You could not have yourself on your list. Yeah, so, we structured it in a way where that didn't count against you necessarily. So yeah didn't ask Troy Holmes Jr. or Kevin Brandon to vote for themselves. Like, I don't care where they would rank themselves. We just inserted them, gave them points for basically their average on everyone else's list so that it didn't count against them. Right. All right. So, Jed, I think the way to do this, and we've done this once before, but it was three years ago. And it's amazing. I'll get into this a little bit to, to juxtapose the list three years ago to today, because there's a lot of changes. There's a lot that stays the same. We'll get into that a little bit as we go. I think the easiest way to do this is we'll count them down starting at 25 and maybe take them 10 at a time. So I'm going to read off basically number 25 to number 16 just in order and then we'll break and talk about anything that jumps out to us from that portion of the list. Sound good? Sounds great to me, Luke. <clears throat> Coming in at number 25. With, uh, let me see if I can break this down. That would be, all right. So the the number, the 25th leading vote getter basically showed up on each ballot in the average of uh, 21st, somewhere in there. I'll get more into that as we go. Number 25, Alan Wickle. Number 24, Chris Bear. Coming in at 23rd, Lane Dicken. In a tie for 21st, Will Holloman and John LaBoose Jr. Number 20, Steve Sisko. Number 19, Tommy Cable. 18th, the aforementioned Red Hot, AJ Ash. Number 17, Kyle Coltrera. Number 16, Kenny Underwood. Big Jed, out of those initial 10, that's 16 through 25 in the preseason top 25 poll official to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. What stands out to you? Well, I, I, there's a couple of things in there, Luke. So you've got Kyle Cotrera, which had a tremendous 2020 and, and seemed like every year is good for Kyle, but uh, he was, you know, definitely in the middle of some really big finals and semifinals in 2020. So as we do these lists, we, we tend to think, about the here and now and, and as you will call it, recency bias. So I feel like Kyle might've been a little lower than I expected. Um, and Kenny Underwood, two years removed from what we feel like was possibly the best season in bracket racing history right up until Hunter Patton last year. But, um, you know, that might've had him a little lower than I expected. Steve Cisco wins a million dollar race, then comes right behind it and wins a hundred grander on the next day in a different car. So the recency bias did not apply to him. Although Steve, uh, try not to say this the wrong way, didn't seem to do a whole lot outside of that. But um, as we know, a very talented racer. So 
I think um, there were some surprises in maybe where people are positioned in that group of 10, but certainly uh, don't find anyone that I don't feel belongs on the list. No, and that's the thing. We talked about this a little bit off air. I feel like, and, and Troy Williams and I actually texted back and forth about this. <clears throat> it feels to me, and I'm curious to hear if, if you feel any differently, there are more good slash great racers out there right now than there ever has been at any point in the history of, of big dollar bracket racing, right? Like uh, the, we talk about the parity and the, and the level field across the board, but there are literally a hundred names that if we read off here in this, particularly in this range, like 15 to 20, that I could not have any problem with being on that list, you know? And then this is obviously the same way as I, uh, as I kind of look down this, I, like you said, I had Coltrera a little bit higher. I think he was like 13th on my list, 17th here. Um, there are a couple names. I almost feel like I want to apologize to these guys in case they're listening. Like the, the inherent difficulty to creating a list like this as a, as a poster is like, you don't, it's different, say, because the idea behind this is like the NCAA top 25 polls, right? Football, basketball. <clears throat> well, the advantage that those voters have is they can look at last week's poll. We don't, you know, <laughs> go back and look at the poll that we compiled from three years ago and tried to add to it. But inevitably when, and, and you and I, Jed, were, were not involved in the tabulation at all. So like, I don't even know what individual voters ballots looked like. Mark put all of that together for us, producer Mark. And as he puts this on my screen and I'm looking at it, I inevitably go, oh God, like apologies, Lane Dickon and Chris Bear, like you weren't on my ballot. And it's not because you don't deserve to be. It's because I didn't think about you. Like there's just names that slip through the cracks that for whatever reason don't come to the top of mind. Those guys should both probably be a spot or two higher on this because they should have been on my ballot and they just weren't. Like I, I just forgot. These things are impossible, Luke. And, and quite honestly, I hate them. Uh, I love talking about them on the show, but I hate having to do them myself <laughs> right. because it's like, and, and one of the people in, the, in that 10 that you just called out i didn't have on my list and i'm like what the heck was i thinking i mean how did i forget about him uh, so you know these things are really really difficult but i think as we get closer to one we'll we'll all have some common ground there but i promise you this 25 to 16 is extremely challenging and as the listeners are putting your list together or you're saying and, oh no, how did you not have this person on the list or this person on this? And when you tell us that, tell us who you'd take off because <laughs> it's impossible. You, you, you could literally put a hundred names down and still have someone that you should have thought of. We'll run through as well, like uh, the beyond the top 25, like also receiving votes when, when we close this out. Probably not through all of them, but there's definitely some names that jump out on there. I did think it was a, an interesting exercise, Jed. And we'll talk about this more as we go along too, to juxtapose the, the, the top 25 poll that we rolled out three years ago against today and just how much different it looks. And I think, I guess, predictably, uh, no, nowhere does that show up more than in this bottom 10, right? So just uh, of the 10 names that we rattled off, six of them did not appear in our top 25 three years ago. Those six... Kyle Coltrera, AJ Ash, 
Will Holloman, Lane Dickin, Chris Baer, Alan Wickle. Of those, I will say, and I, I took credit for this off air. I remember I, we don't have, I, I pulled up our notes again, this is three years ago from the episode that we, that we originally did this back at the beginning of 2018. And I don't have the notes of like people that were on the races that were on my ballot that didn't make the top 25, but I remember talking about it. And the two that come to mind were Kyle Coltrera and Jeff Sarah. I had them in my top 25 three years ago. They didn't make the overall cut. And like now I feel like Nostradamus, right? Like those two guys, <laughs> arguably the two biggest names in the sport. Uh, so like, yeah. As you should. We'll get to Jeff a little bit. Yeah, further. definitely. Yeah, definitely uh, good stuff. You know, looking back as we did pre-show on the, the list three years ago and, and how that's changed and some of the people that were high on that list that didn't make this one, but you know, as you said uh, in pre-show, the, the recency bias, you know, we're, we're all definitely trained to to put people on the list that that we're very familiar with recently that's getting things done. And, you know, there's there's a lot of that, obviously, on this list with some some legendary status as well on it that um, has stayed on lists, but definitely might be uh, getting back. You know what? We'll talk about that later, but <laughs> let's go. Uh, we're we're going to go 15 to six here. Okay. And, and when we get to six, I think it, we'll talk more about where I was headed with that. But anyway, number 15 on the list, Luke is Gage Birch. Number 14 is one Luke Bogacki. Number 13 is Sugar Shane Carr. Number 12, The Rabbit, Kevin Brannon. Number 11 is Matt Dadis, whom we talked about earlier. Uh, number 10 is Johnny Ezell. Number nine is Nick Folk. Number eight is Peeps Pennington. Number seven is Peter Biondo. And number six and seven are used to being by each other on these types of lists, Luke. They've done it for, I guess, about 30 years now. Number six is Scotty Richardson. And where I was headed with that statement earlier was uh, you got a legend here in the sport who, who just accomplished something on his bucket list. And he was not, Luke, on the top 25 list three years ago. Now, that was not due to his skill level, but the recency bias then was evident in that Scotty was running a racetrack and not letting go of the button very often at all and uh, caused us to leave him off the list but when he got back on boy did he get back on but outside of that i know you'll talk some more about that anything surprise you in the numbers 15 to 6 luke yeah i want to start with scotty just because <clears throat> from a personal standpoint like i said that the, the way that i went about this exercise is i pulled up the the final 2018 poll and say like, okay that's my starting point like who's missing who needs to be added this how do i how do i man maneuver this around to reflect the last three years and i literally <clears throat> moved names around added some names I, I stared at it for about 30 minutes and i was just about to press send i was ready to send it into mark and i'm like okay da, 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 just kind of checking the basis like where did i have scotty and i go through it i'm like whoa wait whoa whoa whoa, whoa. i don't have scotty how did i miss scotty and i look <laughs> wait scotty wasn't on the top 25 poll in 2017 
2018. And when you think about that, that just sounds bizarre because <laughs> what point as 30 years would you do this exact poll? Like, hey, we're going to have an eighth mile bracket race tomorrow. Everybody's going to be there. Who you got? At what point in the last 30 years would Scotty Richardson not be, forget the top 25, in the top 10? Yeah. It does. It, it, what it speaks to is when we did this three years ago, Scotty had been running the track in Clay City for a year, maybe longer, hadn't really raced at all. Uh, when he did showed signs of rust, like he was just off the radar. And that's how quickly this stuff can change. And if anything, what he has done more recently, and the fact that this this resurgence is reflected here in the top 25, it gives hope to someone like me, Jed, because like I feel like I'm kind of at a point in my career similar, in my, in my point in my racing, similar to where Scotty was maybe, I don't know, four or five years ago, where it's just not, it's always been the most important thing in my life and it's, it's not. And there's a part of me that struggles with like, man, I'm just, I'm never going to reach that, that tip of the arrow again. You know, like those days are, are gone. And Scotty shows that to some extent, like, it's kind of like riding a bike. Like he took basically a couple years off, came back in and I don't want to say didn't miss a beat. Like he's, he could speak to that more than anyone else, but from the outside, didn't miss a beat and like he is as respected and as feared as anybody in the country so for the old guys for the for the guys transitioning to maybe a little bit different spot in life i find that uh, i find that reassuring yeah no doubt about it uh, he definitely chalked one up for the for the veterans in the sport when he when he got the big million dollar win and you know outside of that luke he you know he definitely made himself a presence in the other big races around that uh, spring playing million so scotty uh, definitely proved it that he still has the skills to to get it done on a very high level peter coming in at seventh is i don't i it, you could argue that it's surprising that he's even on the list you could argue that it's surprising that he's not higher because <laughs> well said <laughs> I think you could probably count on two hands the number of times Peter Biondo staged a race car in 2020. Like, I just don't think he got out. But if the premise, again, is you're going to have a race tomorrow, everybody that you think could win is going to be there. Like, if Pete's going to pull in the gate, he's absolutely a threat. And if not at the top of the list, really high on the list to win it. And I think it speaks to the respect that we all have for him, that he appears this high. And if he was to... to if racing was to ever come back into the forefront of his life, I have no doubt that he would be even higher yet. Um, Peeps is, in a, I think, up a little bit from where he was three years ago, which just kind of speaks to his ascendance, which I think was was predictable. Uh, Nick Folk coming in at nine. Um, it's hard to ever argue. Like People think you're a top 10 racer. I think he's low. Uh, I'll Full transparency, Nick got one first place vote. It was mine. Um, I, I put Nick number one, again, recency bias, like the season that he had, I don't think the, the, the shines off of it a little bit because he didn't hold the trophy and stand atop the podium at the end of the day, but he was runner up to Scotty in the spring fling million, fall fling million um, in Bristol and made a run deserving of winning. And he was like 13th out total in the final. He was down to the split in Memphis he was a semifinalist at the OG Million in Montgomery. Earlier in the season, he was runner-up in the 100 Grander at Byron. Like, he got close at every race that mattered. He just didn't win one. 
And I think if he wins one of those, this season's probably looked at in a different light. And he's just a guy I really know different than anyone in the top 10, certainly maybe anyone on this list. Like Nick's just got all the tools. Like I, this is obviously a, a top bulb eighth mile bracket race discussion, but the dude bottom stock, super stock pro tree. Like if it is a race car with four wheels, that dude can do it. And he's, and specifically to eighth mile bracket racing, like he's got every tool in the box. Um, and I think his success late really throughout 2020 just highlighted to me, like, man, that guy is, is at a different level than most of us. Um, so like say, if anything, I could make the argument for Nick being higher, uh, Ezel, no surprise at 10 data, certainly no surprise at 11, uh, KB would, would be higher. I think he had, you know, short of the million probably had one of his more down seasons, but certainly deserving of being, you know, top 10 level, um, and then Shane, and then somebody actually, I, I got a first place vote, which I was surprised to see that I was even on the top 25. Again, just from a recency thing, like uh, I haven't had much success lately and haven't, uh, haven't, I just haven't been as uh, dedicated, I guess, to racing. So it's cool to see that, uh, you know, some of that respect from past accomplishments show up. And uh, I disagree completely with the number one ranking. I think that's a little off base, but honored to, uh, to appear in the top 25, certainly. Yeah, it was a that was a star-studded um, group of ten there, and you know, a couple of the the people that you talked about on the list specifically, like Nick Folk, um, incredible 2020, and a guy that's as versatile as anyone on the list. As you mentioned, a lot of the classes and stuff, a lot of the classes he's raced in, and other stuff he's done, and you know, competed at a very high level in all of those. So, uh, a guy that I definitely could see in a top five role and, and you had him at number one, which would be impossible to argue against. And then uh, speaking of yourself there at 14 with one first place vote, um, how you disagree with being on the list. This wasn't a, again, a list of who won the most uh, this last year or in the last 18 months, it was who you had won on your team to take to a, a top bulb race and battle out with your top 25 and I think it'd be impossible for anyone to exclude you or, or have any justification for why you shouldn't be on that list so give yourself a little more credit than that and uh, lastly Peter um, I would say finishing seventh he had to be on everyone's list and I'm not sure that more than just a couple of three or four actually saw him stage a race car outside of that whole young guns versus has been thing. Um, maybe, maybe three people on the list saw him stage a car in 2020. So it speaks to, uh, his ability and, and what he, what he means to people in the racing world. And the fact that they all know that just because he doesn't race much, doesn't mean that he's lost anything because, Peter is still one of the most talented guys and I would take him on my team anytime. So now Luke, the, the top five is where we are. And I, I think as people are listening to this, the names they haven't heard, I believe they know what's coming, but uh, how do you want to handle this top five? Yeah. I, I think if you're, if you're rattling off and kind of counting through at home, I think most could probably name all five of these top five that the order might, well, I mean, it's so subjective. The order is probably going to surprise just about everyone. Let's go one at a time just so that we can give these guys each some shine. 
Um, number five, Troy Williams Jr. Yeah, T-Rock, um, you want to talk about them as we go, Luke, or you just want to name them off and then talk? I'm no. sorry. Go ahead and, and spend some time on T-Dub. Yeah, so T-Dub, obviously uh, a guy that's very, very accomplished in bracket racing, million-dollar winner. He's won world championships. He has won on the bottom, uh, you know, uh, throttle stop racing, wide open, quarter mile, eighth mile, a guy that has literally won in every area of bracket and sportsman drag racing. And Luke, I don't know his full tenure in racing, but I mean, Troy's been doing this 25 to 30 years and still today is one of the most feared guys on the racetrack, which speaks volumes of his ability and the fact that he's number five on the list is certainly no surprise at all. You mentioned there's a lot of fluidity just in the three years time since we've done this. And by the way, I don't think we mentioned this earlier. This is this is something that we're going to try to make an annual thing so we can keep up with it a little bit better. I think it's a great way to start each season. Um, but there is there's a lot of fluidity over the, the three years. A lot changed. There's a couple of things that never change, <laughs> seemingly. Um, to your point, I would say that, that Troy really bust onto the national scene in 1998 when he won the million um, and had had tremendous local success or you know, maybe regional success would be a better way to put that um, in probably the five years prior to that. So I think it's, it's fair to say that he's been doing this at a high level for very nearly 30 years. Um, and I would say really with some confidence, I, I don't think there is any point in that certainly 25 year span, certainly since he won the million in 98, if you go through this exercise, I don't think there's ever a year, perhaps not a month that he doesn't appear in the top 10. And it speaks not only to his talent, but the consistency, because there are very few people that just grind at that level for that period of time. And uh, there are two people <clears throat> on this list that appear in the top five of this list that were also on the top five of our list in 2018, and they share the same last name. Troy, <laughs> he comes in fifth, a uh, one single point, which is basically like uh, one tenth of a vote uh, out of fourth, uh, and not far from third as well. So, Troy Williams Jr. Uh, like I, I think we've we've waxed poetic on Troy and his accomplishments and his talent level for years here on the podcast, I don't think there's much more to say. Certainly no surprise. I'll, if there's a surprise here, it's uh, I'm looking at like first place votes. To me, it would be a surprise that none of our 11 voted Troy number one. Yeah, that would be a surprise for sure. Um, um, definitely guy deserving of his number five ranking and, and even higher if you couldn't uh, argue against it. Luke, move on to number four. Um, a guy that you mentioned earlier that made your list three years ago that did not uh, make the top 25 as a whole, but just kicked the door in to get himself on this year's list. Number four is Jeff Sarah. Sarah is another one. I, I guess like if I circle back, <clears throat> I said I had, had Nick number one personally. When we did this three years ago, I, I had KB number one personally. And I think a big part of that, and obviously, again, like you could pick any one of a handful of guys, put them number one, I'm not going to argue with you at all. Um, <clears throat> but for me, a big part of kind of that 
distinguishing force in terms of really even separating yourself from the quote unquote elite is the ability to do to, to execute any facet of the game at any given time. And again, to specifically to the two that I pinpointed, uh, I'll, I'll focus on Kevin Brand and, and Nick Folk, just because we can look at it so recently. Watching Nick in action at Bristol when he runnered up to Scotty, watching KB on live feed, admittedly, and then hearing him go through round by round with you here on the podcast from his wins in Montgomery. In both of those instances, just within those what, 10 rounds, <clears throat> they both went from uh, really kind of in, in similar order, Nick and Bristol and, and Kevin and Montgomery, to starting off the day having incredible race cars and realizing that their cars were incredible and could do a lot of the work and just wrecking the tree, dialed almost dead honest, making good runs. And then as the events uh transitioned into the night as the rounds got late as there was more time between rounds as there basically become more variables they were both more than willing to dial up significantly and basically completely alter game plans and perform at the same if not an elevated level right like kb went from dialed rock hard to like he's i mean i don't know how much he was holding because i don't know how well he was getting down the track but he's dialed up like five or six from that for the last couple of rounds of the million nick was the exact same way at bristol like he's glued on 450 451 and late in the race is up to 53 54 and so whether it's hey i gotta be double o here and let the car go dead on or i gotta let go on time and take nothing like they can do either they, they can do either of those plus a, a variety more <clears throat> You know, whatever option presents itself as the best opportunity to win this round, they are not only capable of executing, but willing. So that's the thing that I look for. And Jeff Sarah, to me, to circle this back to number four, checks that box as well as anyone, like is just willing to change things up strategically, thinks on a, a little bit different level in terms of, of race approach and and looking to induce mistakes from, from opponents, you know, in large part, as we talked about when he was on the show, just by like holding way more than most people think is normal, right? And it's a different look in the other lane, but he's also capable of just kind of getting back to basics, laying down good runs. Like, I just think he's really versatile. I've thought that for years, obviously, like you said, he, he appeared in my top 25 three years ago when he was a little bit more off the radar. Is if Jeff Sarah hadn't won the Great American Million, is he fourth on this list? Maybe not. But I think he's very deserving of being in that spot and in that discussion based on talent alone for good accomplishments. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Jeff, obviously what he accomplished at the Great American Million was something that I would have bet the farm couldn't be done. Um, you could have put anyone in this top 25 list or any top 25 list in the driver's seat and i would have told you there's nobody good enough to to accomplish what he did you know, given the circumstances that that he had so um obviously that pole vaulted him into the the top five on this list but outside of that luke i mean you're talking about a guy that has won consistently on very big stages he's kind of kept it all on the eastern shore uh, basically the northeastern part of the country for the most part he's kept it there but um 
it's just because he hasn't traveled a ton. But when Jeff does get out, he's a threat everywhere he goes and a guy certainly deserving of his number four ranking. And uh, obviously, with the amount of points that he accumulated, um, all of the panelists felt the same way about him. So uh, anytime you're that unanimous, it's it's obvious that you deserve to be there. And uh, Jeff, you know, probably is just that's the tip of the iceberg for him. I, I would expect to see Jeff accomplish a lot more in this sport before he's done. One of several um, young names within the top 25 and one of two examples of, uh, again, we talked about the fluidity and the turnover in this. He's actually one of two in our top 20, in our top five that were not in the top 25 three years ago. Um, like I say, Sarah had, had definitely had some votes, was close, was sniffing it. Um, but the ascendance over the course of three years is, is pretty notable. Ready for number three? I am ready. Really excited. Number three. And I think it's worth noting, not only did nasty Nick Hastings come in third in our overall poll, Nick received the most first place votes. Out of the 11 panelists, four voted Nick number one. Nick Hastings comes in number three on our list. Jed, I think the most impressive thing about this, I think it's absolutely rightful for Nick to show up here. It wouldn't surprise me if he came in at number one. And I would assume that everyone who voted on this uh, would agree that this is this was framed as a top ball bracket race. And Nick's obviously amazing on the top ball. I think it's his second best skill set. Like his bread and butter is on the bottom. So to be considered in the top three in the world and something that you're probably not as good at as you are some other facet of the same sport is pretty freaking impressive, right? No doubt, Luke. Um, you, you know, we've talked a lot about versatility as we've discussed the people on this list and, and versatility is a key to being recognized as a great racer, especially a bracket racer. Um, Nick, is as versatile as anyone on this list. And the guy obviously swaps feet at arguably the highest level in the sport right now. And, you know, he doesn't get the opportunity to show his top bulb skills as often because anymore these larger races have a bottom bulb component to it where you can work your way into the mix in round five or six or whatever that may be. So Nick goes with what he considers to be his best skill set, which would be impossible to argue against and then work his way into that. But when he has attended an event that does not have a bottom bulb component and he hits the top, he hits it as well as anyone. And, you know, he's a, he's a humble young man that does it quietly. Uh, although he makes a lot of noise on the racetrack Nick kind of keeps to himself and, and the group he's with, he, he doesn't get around and, um, you know, make a lot of noise at the racetrack and, and the type of guy that you see is coming to the line with any kind of cockiness or any of that, but he's ultra confident for good reason. And Luke, I guess even for me, um, the coolest part of it is the swapping feet, but very close second coolest part. He's doing this in a Pontiac T1000. 
Um, not that Pontiac T-1000s can't compete on a big stage, but of all the weapons, you look down this list and look what these guys, look, look at the list and tell me what these guys are choosing as a whole, as their weapon. And then that's dragsters, obviously. And then when you change that over to a door car, it's typically some kind of bad A, uh, alcohol-fed, big tired tube chassis, fire-breathing machine, you know, that might even go into fives or, or faster. And then you look at Nasty Nick do it in a Pontiac T-1000, going to go about 613 to 616, popping wheelies, kind of a small tire on it, just doing his thing. Uh, again, his equipment is excellent. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's just still a little unassuming. And for him to be that good and, and doing it in a ride that doesn't look like everybody else's, pretty darn cool. To your like, let's just look back here through our top 25. I, I think it's it's fair to say Nick is the highest ranking quote-unquote door car guy. As you look through the list, there aren't many racers that you would associate with the door car. Like, I think you have to put Scotty in that in that realm now. You know, I mean, I know that a lot of his history was in a direction, but for the last decade, he's been predominantly door car. Um, you go through this, you got the, the young guns and Matt Dadis and, and Gage Birch. I guess Underwood, I feel like Underwood's, I, I, I know he runs both regularly. I associate him more with the door car, you? Yeah, I would say so. Um, Cisco, certainly. AJ, certainly. That's it. I mean, that's yeah. what, or six of the top 25 that, that we would kind of peg as, as door car guys. Um, I guess maybe that's telling. Um, but back to the, the Hastings point, I do feel like, we talked about how, how unique it is and how incredible it is for him to be ranked so high on this list when I think most of us would say like he is a, a better footbreaker than he is a, a top ball bracer. And I do think that that creates some bias in the voting, just not just simply because we don't always think of him as a top ball bracer because he's so successful on the bottom. And to that point, I mentioned he had four first place votes. Um, on our of our eleven pollsters, um, Nick's name was not on two of the ballots. Now that doesn't mean that if he's on those ballots, like he's definitely number one. He's he would have had to have been like fifth ish, I think eighth or better on each of those ballots to actually be number one on this list. But I do think it's telling, like that he's, and, and I don't think it's it's any personal detriment. I think it is our bias against thinking of Nick more as a bottom bulb racer if that's not there, he may be even higher on this list. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it's understandable why someone would leave him off his list based on the, the, the instructions. But if you've really watched Nick, you know that he lets go as well as anyone and very capable in a top ball race. So um, maybe, maybe the fact that he is the best bottom bulb racer or best foot brake racer in the country uh kept him from making a couple of panelist lists but again as you said probably with the gap between him and number two probably lands in the same spot but four first place votes shows that there are uh, some panelists that have a lot of confidence in him and for good reason all right, 
take us to number two with one first place vote. This was close, too, between the top two. Uh, number two, obviously, I think most of all of our listeners right now know who's one and two. Uh, but number two, a very close gap to number one with one first place vote. A guy that we talked about at length on the, the, in the, the 2020 season on the podcast, um, arguably has just had the best bracket racing season, even through a pandemic in the history of the sport, and that is one Hunter Patton. Yeah, we talked about the ascent. I guess first, let's just, again, pay homage to, to Hunter's 2020 season. Like, it's, I think, unequivocally, the most dominant, successful start-to-finish season of big dollar bracket racing ever. Um, you know, certainly in my lifetime, and I feel like the history of big dollar bracket racing is predominantly in my lifetime. What he did in 2020, I don't want to say will never be duplicated, um, but we've never seen it before. And it's uh, and so if this was a a poll based upon success over the last calendar year, then it's a, it's a no brainer. It's not close. It honors number one. Um, the fact that he ascends to number two on this list. I think just speaks to the amazing journey that he's had over the last three years. Not only was Hunter not in our top 25 in 2018, um, I find it, I, I'm relatively certain that he didn't receive a single vote. Like Hunter really came onto the national scene in late 2018 when he won a 30 grander at the million dollar race. Yep. Till then outside of, his you know home area the the houston texas area not too many people knew the name hunter Patton. and just keep in mind that's just over two years ago and what he has accomplished in that period of time and the respect that he has rightfully garnered in that period of time i don't think that that's not been seen in my lifetime like maybe when scotty first came on the scene it was similar. That's a little bit before my time, right? And it was a different time where I know that we're all we're all biased, but it it feels like it was quote unquote easier to dominate. I don't know if that's fair because it's it's all happening in real time, but it's so tough today. The field is so level. The technology is so good. You just don't see people have the season that Hunter Patton had, and if you do. Like it's Kenny Underwood. It's somebody that's been competing at that level for 30 years. It's Troy Williams Jr. It's Gary Williams. Like Hunter Patton, I, it's not fair to say that he came from nowhere. Like he's a second generation racer. He's been around it all his life. He has lived it. He's put in the work. He absolutely deserves to be where he is. It's just so unique, unprecedented to see someone ascend to the level that he has reached in as short a period of time as he's done it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, obviously not being on the list three years ago to making it to number two says a lot about what he's accomplished in that time frame. But I talked about it in a couple of shows I know last year. The fact that he did this in such a large geographical area too, what he accomplished in 2020 um, was difficult on the racetrack. It was equally as difficult off of the racetrack because logistics 
are are just part of racing. And for him to get himself to all of these events as much as he did, uh, it just says a lot about his dedication to racing and pretty amazing what he accomplished in such a wide, wide space, uh, just, you know, from Iowa to Florida and everywhere in between. The logistics of his schedule would be challenging in any year, but particularly in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, like that, that adds another layer to it. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't think it'll be years before I think we can really put into perspective what Hunter accomplished in the last year. It's incredible. Yeah, I agree. That leaves us with, I think, a predictable, certainly if you've been listening along, number one. And I mentioned earlier, this was close. If you took the average uh, position of our top two uh, across the 11 ballots, Hunter came in an average of 4.3, right? So among all 11, the average spot that he landed in the top 25 was just under fourth. Our number one, uh, our, our... I guess, uh, preseason driver of the year, Gary Williams, got two first place votes, averaged uh, 3.7 across the board. So just over half a spot over our 11 panelists difference here. This was close. This was as close as just about any uh, position on the list. Number one, Gary Williams. Yeah, Luke, um, Gary needs no uh, praise to to be considered the top of many people's list. Uh, You don't have to build him up to make people think he deserves to be there. Um, Again, just as we talked about his brother, he's done it at as high or higher level, you know, a two-time million-dollar winner, almost a three-time, just really almost did something that was seemed unaccomplishable when he uh, semied the, the million dollar race this year, the OG million, but Gary, uh, another very versatile racer. Gary's one of the people on this list. You know, we all kind of get comfortable in our own skin and our own race car where we're our best. Gary's a guy that I feel like you could literally put in any car at the racetrack. And if this is a, a 480 door car, to a, a 420 dragster or a six second door car and you could put him in anything in the racetrack and give him one hit and he has the ability to take that car to the winner circle if you know if it's a halfway decent ride obviously but he is just extremely versatile can let go of the button on the bottom can swap feet he can do long cars uh, you know he loves running the, the extended cab truck that he's done so well in just a, an extremely versatile and accomplished guy and easy to see why Gary would be number one on a couple of people's list, but certainly with a very high ranking across the board, putting him in the number one spot. And um, just really can't say enough good things about what Gary's capable of and what he's accomplished. And as far as the instructions, again, a, a top bulb event, big money bracket race and who you want on your team. How could you not have Gary at the top? A couple of things here. Gary Williams, as we talked about earlier, uh, you know, the, the fluidity, the changing nature of this list. Uh, uh, when we did this three years ago, Gary Williams, number two. <laughs> Today, Gary Williams, number one. Um, on my personal list, I, I said earlier that I had Nick Polk, number one. I had Gary, number two. Um, and the difference between those is absolutely 
you know, you're, you're splitting hairs, obviously. Um, Gary's got every tool in the book. I think what sticks out to me when I think about Gary Williams, the racer, is really two things. One, the obvious, that I feel like there are a small percentage of racers that are able to basically maintain their level of precision when the stakes get high. There are very, very few that seem to get better for his entire career. Gary Williams has seemingly been at his best when it mattered the most. And that's something like, I don't think you can consciously turn on. Uh, and, And I've watched it enough to know, like, it's not just a case of, he maintains and everyone around him screws up like he reaches another level when it matters and that's really really rare the second thing that stands out to me having watched gary's career that maybe isn't quite as obvious and this goes for troy as well like i think that they probably more than anyone there's just no quit in them and you could say that about anybody in the top 25 like that mindset but specifically on the racetrack i have watched both of them just pull rabbits out of the hat to win rounds that they had zero business winning stuff that no one else would be able to compartmentalize and execute in the couple of seconds that we actually have on the racetrack and they just do it repeatedly like we've watched troy i think we talked about it here on the show stone late the one at galat that everybody just talked about and it, like he's spraying before 60 foot to drop like most of us would kind of give up there's no give up in either one of these guys i watched and like this is the stuff of legend but see if you can follow along with this because this is maybe two decades ago this is forever ago but i watched gary williams win around in and some of our listeners may be able to associate this but the electric shifters that are like spring loaded so that you, you kind of cock them back when you pull the shifter into low gear. Well, Gary was in a dragster with said shifter and the ground wire had fallen off of it. So you could manually pull the shifter into low gear, but the second that you took pressure off of it, the spring just shot it into second. Like the only way that it was going to be in low gear was if you physically held the shifter back against the spring, right? There was nothing to charge that magnet. And Gary realizes this like in the burnout and watching on the starting line, like I had no idea that anything was wrong and he wins the round. Okay, cool. I ride back to the pits and Gary's like ripping this car apart, just saying, get that thing out of the car. Like I'll just shift it by hand, take that out of there. That was way too hard. Like, what do you, what do you mean? That was way too hard. And he explains to me like, look, like if you pull it in low, it doesn't stay in low. I'm like, okay, next question. How the hell because he made he's like <laughs> dead on right like how did you just do what you did like obviously you were in low gear this is all in seconds gary has the presence of mind think this through now stages the car in high gear because the buttons on the right wheel and the shifters on the right like he can't comfortably hold the shifter with his left hand he doesn't want to let go with the left right so he stages in high gear with the foot brake sets the trans brake which activates the delay box and sets the trans brake still in high gear now keep in mind if he lets go of the brake pedal if he hits the gas like he is going right not not going to remain staged has the presence of mind to hold the brake pedal hit the tree like normal then reach over pull the car into low gear let go of the brake pedal stand on the gas 
chip it, tree comes down, takes off, and then holds the shift until the desired shift point, clicks it into high, drives the finish line, wins the round, like it was no big deal. Okay, I would be there. I I would have staged and hoped for a red light. Like I like to think I'm pretty quick on my feet. There's no possible scenario in which I execute that with any degree of precision. And Gita was like, "Yeah, that was that, 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 no big deal." But take that that shifter out of there. And then somebody was like, "Hey, it's just the ground wire fell off." He's like, "No, I no, I'm not doing that again. Take that electric thing off of it, and I'll just shift it by." And I believe he won the race that night. So <laughs> incredible. I might not have made it to the starting line. <laughs> right. <laughs> that That's G-Dub in a nutshell. No surprise that he's number one. Very deserving. Um, and again, he's one that I think at any point over the last 20 years is, if we do this every single season, much like his brother Troy, I think he's a top tenor. There's times I think that he's definitely number one. And this is one of those times. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's a heck of a list when I look down through this. There's a lot of big names that, that didn't crack the top 25. We'll get to those. Um, but just overall, um, this list is pretty impressive. Any, any final takeaways? No, again, the, the only takeaway I have is while you could argue positions and where people belong on this list, and and as we mentioned, the names that, that were just outside of this top 25, people will say, well, they definitely belong. But again, as you're building your list, tell me who you would take off. Uh, these things are impossible. It's certainly not meant to, to hurt anyone's feelings or, or make anyone think that we don't recognize their talent or this panel didn't recognize their talent. But um, certainly... You know, again, a top 25 worthy of being there. But as you mentioned, or we mentioned some of these names outside of it, Luke, they're just as worthy. Yeah. Um, we could go through just the others or Stephen Gold. I think the, the easiest place to start is I'll just go uh, to my ballot here and some of the, the racers that I included in my own personal top 25 that, that didn't quite make the cut. Um, and there were several in mine that, that were close, that were near misses, that uh, <clears throat> are just outside the top 25. Some of those include uh, Corey Galetti, who comes in at 27th on this list. He was in my top 25. Mikey Bloomfield, who was, I think he was like 17 in 2018 uh it looks like he's 29 on this list made mine again just outside um brad plored a little bit further down the list he's probably 10 spots out of the top 25 he was on my list shane maddox another near miss that was on mine and then i had some jed on my top 25 that like are are surprisingly to me uh not only absent but like on down the list the first i think the most shocking um west may who I know like there's some recency to this. And I know that just, we talked about transitions in life. Like Wes has started a family. He's concentrating on business. Like his show is not on the road. Like it used to be. And obviously I'm probably a little bit biased here because I watched what may have, what was one of a handful of big events that he attended, you know, outside of Muncie, Indiana in 2020. And I watched him just basically dominate the world super pro challenge for four days. Like it was, it was the same West May that I watched when everything under the sun and what was that 2016, right? 
Um, so I had him, he was actually, he was fourth in 2018. He doesn't appear on the list today. I don't think he's any worse racer than he was in, in 2018. He's just not at the top of mind. He was on my list up pretty high, uh, and doesn't appear in the top 25 here. Uh, another one for me, um, I had champ on my list. I had Stephen McCrory on my list. Another one that I think is a little bit out of sight, out of mind. Um, he's in the also uh, getting votes a little ways down the list here outside the top 25. And the one that I, I think I'm actually relatively confident and, and he's not a young upstart, so to speak, you know, like uh, Kyle Coltrera and Jeff Sarah were three years ago. But I think this is the guy that I'll look back when we do this a few years from now and say like, I I had that. I had that three years ago, and no one else did. Um, Corey Manuel was on my list, and and it looks like I may have been the only one that voted for him. Like that kid is super talented, and I think has a bright, bright future ahead of him. Yeah, definitely some talented guys that you mentioned there, Luke. That that made your list. I, my list. And by the way, uh, if you're a West Coast listener, I want to apologize on behalf of myself and the panel. Uh, not a single. Uh, West Coast name, um, I, I guess specifically West Coast name on the list at all, uh, does not mean this panel does not recognize that there are talented racers out there. I know uh, Marco Paravalaris made the list. He was on mine. He, he, I say didn't make the list. He was on mine, uh, did not make the top 25. Shane Thompson, uh, Mark Kidd. So I want to apologize to, to the West Coasters for, for not getting – any of your names on the list, but again, we're, we're victims of what we see and the, the panel was pretty heavy East coast biased as well. So, uh, outside of that, I had John Siegel on my list, Luke, a uh, guy that I, I, I know John very well. I'm very close to him. I, I see the runs he makes the guys, super talented and super versatile. So I had him on up the list for me and, and, thought that I would see him make the top 25. Adam Davis, again, victim of what I see a lot of, and I see a lot of Adam Davis winning races. Uh, very uh, talented young racer, as you know. You, you've traveled quite a bit with, with Adam over the years. Um, Brad Plourd, a guy, another guy that I think is super versatile and deserving of being on the list. Dave Triplett, very highly accomplished guy, did not make a lot of appearances at the racetrack in 2020, could have possibly been what kept him off of this list. But, uh, you know, if you look at Dave, he's just a solid guy, makes solid runs, had him on my list. And names that surprised me that didn't quite make it were like Jason Lynch and Wes May, as you said, Anthony Bertozzi, those guys were they come in really close in points, but but outside of the top 25 a little bit. So there's a, I don't know how many names on this list, but the finally the one I had on my list that, that only got a couple of votes, but I promise you I would put him in my top 25 anywhere and everywhere, and that's Cody Graham. This young man had a tremendous 2020. Uh, he's got young children doesn't you know got a got a normal job doesn't get the chance to ride around a whole bunch but if you're in uh if you're in the mid-south part of this country and you're racing any kind of decent race you're going to square up with cody probably at some point in the late rounds and 
he makes tremendous runs, very talented, can do it in the door car and the dragster. So had Cody on my list. And outside of that, again, tons of great names. I think Mark had in the notes that we had 71 racers that received votes. So when you panel 11 people and 71 racers receive votes for a top 25, I would say that's pretty consistent. I'd say that the group of names that made this list were, were pretty consistent because you, you only had, uh, what was that, 46 people outside of the top 25 that got votes from 11 people. So I think this top 25 is pretty darn solid and I think would be a really consistent number even if you expanded that group of panelists. Uh, a couple of notes just looking through the the also receiving votes just outside if we did a top 25 and one um slate cummings came in 26th um to your point on the the west coasters uh marco got the most votes marco pervalaris uh you mentioned shane maddox david meyer uh appears on here i think there was another left coaster or two. Oh, justin lamb who would laugh at knowing that he was included in a top bulb, um, top 25. <laughs> yeah. Balance, right? Um, Mark Kidd was on there. Yes. Yeah, Mark Kidd. The, um, as I go through, I guess just to highlight, like, for those of you, because I know there are some that will use this as, uh, as determination for the 2021 season, like, I'm going to show those guys, right? A, it's not just us. <laughs> That didn't include you, right? Um, don't take it out on me and Jed personally, completely. We, we, we <laughs> that. Um, but if this is going to be bulletin board material for you, let me just some of the um, more familiar names that received votes but landed outside the top 25. Slate Cummings, Anthony Bertozzi, Wes May, Jason Lynch, um, Dave Triplett, Jed Coughlin Jr. I have a feeling... If we do this again a year from now, we're going to laugh that Jeg wasn't on this. Like It is my understanding that Jeg is going to be very committed to big dollar bracket racing in 2021. I would be shocked if he does not return to form, so to speak. Again, recency bias. Um, Jeg has run a handful of bracket races probably in the last five years. Um, but again, if the stipulation is there's a race tomorrow, who do you trust? Jake's going to be up there. Um, other other big names uh, that we see here on this list uh, that didn't crack the top 25. How about Dan Fletcher, Brian Folk, Dan Northrup, Tom Dauber, Jeff Ledford, uh, the aforementioned Stephen McCrory, Jeff Heffler. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty good list. No, it's an incredible list. Down <laughs> yeah. Right. Much less top 25. So if you, if your name, if you didn't hear your name, um, I, I wouldn't take that too personally. This is this is pretty impressive stuff. Very impressive. But uh, that's, uh, that's just, again, a small sample of the talent that's out there. And, you know, we would like to see if, if you got a top 25 list that you want to show the world that, that you're not um, uh, scared of or ashamed of, put it on the, the Facebook page. Put it on Sports and Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Love to see your top 25. And, you know, it can be local flavor or it can be national or global, whatever you choose. But let, let's see who you guys think deserve to be on a top 25 list of people that you would take to a top bulb, a big money top bulb race and compete on your team. 
more importantly, to your point, who are you going to leave off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who are you, who you taking off ours? <laughs> Post that too. But I guess uh, Luke, that wraps it up. That's uh, that's bringing this one to a close, as you said in the, in the opening. It's uh, it was probably about ninety minutes of some gas bagging, but some pretty good stuff. It was fun to to go down, talk about a little bit of race results, and then talk about this way too early top twenty five for twenty twenty one. Looking forward to seeing who uh, performs this year. We got lots of big racing in twenty twenty one. A lot of stuff to talk about here on the podcast and. I don't know. What are we entering our 15th, 16th year of this? I don't know how many it's been, but when did this this start? 16? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think it was 16. So, man, fifth year of the podcast. Oh, yeah. You told me we'd do three or four of these things, and when nobody listened, we'd just be done with it. And here we are almost five years in. So, Still no one listening, but we're still doing it. (laughs) We're still doing it. Good stuff. We definitely appreciate everybody tuning into this one. Um, again, put your list out there. Tell us uh, what you liked about our list, what you didn't like, where we got it right, where we got it wrong. Tell us that on Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can uh, put it right there for everyone to see, or you can just message producer Mark and tell him how terrible our panel did of getting this top 25 list. Nonetheless, no matter what, whether you liked it, hated it, what we did right, what we did wrong, we'd love to hear from you and you tell us what you think about it. Luke, I know there's got to be some shouts. Dude, I've been building up shout outs for a month. <laughs> let's hear them. All right, let's first shout out Jono, a.k.a. Jono Gerber. I'm going to shout out <laughs> get Mike Gaffney with the Gremlin. That's almost a, that's almost a mouthful. Gaffney and... <laughs> anybody that advances to a big dollar race final round in a gremlin if we don't recognize that let us know you deserve a shout out on the sportsman drag racing podcast we agreed we're here for the t1000 we're here for the chevette by all means uh i wish i wish that race had kicked off 2021 i would love for this to be the year of the gremlin (laughs) well you know what luke it started that was, oh. I think it started in 2020, but I'm pretty sure it ended after midnight. Well, this was, it was the Thursday race though, right? Yeah, but Friday was the first. Oh, yes. I think that race ended in 2021. Damn, the year of the ground. <laughs> Actually. Nailed it. Given the the trials and tribulations that we had in 2020, I don't know that I want to sign up for the year of the gremlin from a broad picture, but from <laughs> a standpoint, the year of the gremlin, I'm down. I'm down. Uh, shouts to, I hadn't heard this and I, and I kind of offhand loved it. I want you to say it again, but I want to, I want to shout to, is it Madass? That Madass. That Madass. It's even better. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Um, shouts, I, I, I covered this earlier. I'm, I'm out of uh, I'm out of sequence. Shouts to the Pontiac T1000 and Pontiac T1000s everywhere. We're here for you. Both of them, yes. Shouts and good riddance to 2020. Oh my goodness. Um, I think this is this is uh, an interesting outlook because I felt like maybe just psychologically. We all just thought, man, let's just turn the calendar and get 2020 over. And let's be frank, like the first week of 2021, it still sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. 
lot, but if we can kind of leave the essence of 2020 behind, I'm all in. So on that note, happy new year. I looked for it. I actually, um, Mark and, and Jed, I think can see me on screen. I did dig through my trash can earlier. They may have seen that. I thought I had the kazoo, but it must have actually gone out in the track. I was going to give you a happy new year. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, great shouts, Luke. Uh, definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Again, message us there on the page or put your uh, put your list out there for everyone to see. like to see some good banter and discussion on the uh, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. If uh, you want to reach out to us through the Twitter, Luke and I are both very active on Twitter. You can uh, get to Luke at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. We uh, would definitely love to hear from you there as well. Thanks to the great sponsors that bring this show to you. And anytime you get the opportunity to use their products and services, please do so. And uh, you won't be disappointed because we only represent the best here on the podcast. And um, other than that, thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you real soon about more Sportsman Drag Race. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.